Open with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 18 through 4, verse 1, but our text for this morning will be just verses 18 through 19. This is a section, and we'll be spending three weeks in it, and so I wanted to read the whole of it at the outset. Let's read together, Colossians three eighteen through 4, 1. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. And masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I had a decoder ring as a kid. Maybe some of you grew up with these things. You'd get it as a stocking stuffer or a gift. And if a sibling or a friend had the same decoder ring, you could communicate to one another in code. If you were to stumble upon a message written in code without the code, you couldn't understand it. It would make no sense. It'd be a jumbled mess. It would be chaotic. And if you tried to decipher the message with the wrong code, it would still come out jumbled, a mess, and and chaotic and without, without sense. But you knew you had the right code when something meaningful came out the other side. When you applied the code to the, to the, to the message and you got something meaningful and sensible on the other side. Well, in the first century, there was a thing called a, a household code, household codes. And that's what we just read together. There are three sets of relationships here. Paul is getting down to the specifics of your, your roles and relationships in your lot in life. We've got wives and husbands and parents and children and within the home at the time, bond servants and masters. And we'll take, we'll take each pair uh, with one, one week at a time. This morning, we'll look at Paul's commands to wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the code. And out the other side comes something beautiful and sensible and intelligible. And when it's done right, something just right. Fullness in Christ is seen in the experience of fulfilling our roles. But before we unpack this short verse... Let's uh, make some observations together at the outset. First, this is really down-to-earth stuff. Colossians has taken us, as you'll recall, to the outer reaches of the universe and even beyond. From before the universe began to God's purposes for for the eternity future, the cosmic Christ through whom all things were created is the one who reconciles all things to himself. But it turns out that this includes marriage. And the subtlest interactions between you and your spouse, the the simplest of conversations, is the context in which God's glorious saving, redemptive work, new creation work, is manifest in the world. It's a burst of light with every interaction that that you share with your spouse, for those of you who are married. The code is down to earth. It's also brief. 
22 words in English make up his instructions to wives and husbands. To which I would say, Paul, we could use a little bit more here. It's like he's expecting us to fill in the gaps. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. That does cover the gamut, though, does it not, men? I mean, consider, though, the volumes and volumes on this topic on marriage in Christian bookstore shelves. You would think he would give us a little bit more. Or maybe, maybe actually, it's the volumes and volumes on this subject that is symptomatic of a problem. Here's how one author put it. This booming marriage business, books, conferences, seminars, marriage counseling is really a sign of disease and not health. In a very real sense, our interest is morbid, almost pathological. We're like a terminal cancer patient, fervently researching alternative treatments, hoping against hope that something can be done, desperate for happiness in our relationships, and discontent with what God has given us. We are imploring the experts to show us the way out. Well, maybe we've got the wrong code, and maybe it's a matter of this simple code. 22 22 words, and your marriage turns on it. And a thousand books can't give you this. This is the heart of the matter, the key. The code is down to earth. It's, It's brief, surprisingly brief, surprisingly brief. It's not like marriages weren't complicated back then, and it's not like husbands and wives wouldn't have appreciated some expansion on the subject. It's often the case that we, we want more on the subject of marriage or the subject of parenthood. And uh, that's all fair. The whole counsel of God comes to bear on it so that Paul can say, husbands, love your wives. And, and it works. Codes down to earth, it's brief. It also assumes a certain order. This, needs, this can't go without saying, in order to gender, there is a such thing as men and women. It's assumed here. In order to marriage that it's the joining of a man and a woman, a complementary pair, that there is order within marriage, that once married, the man and the woman take on distinct roles from one another. The husband, Scripture says, is the head of the wife. The parallel passage in Ephesians says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. This is the structure within marriage. Marriage has a point person. Marriage has a leader. And the man is responsible for the family and for the marriage. And regardless of his intelligence or his even maturity or even his spiritual maturity, before the Lord, that is his role and that is his responsibility. These roles are unique and they come with unique restraints. The codes on offer today largely say that happiness and fulfillment are found through freedom from roles and restraints. It's sneaky and it's subtle. It's in the air. It's the air that we breathe. We've got to say it. The code on offer around us, in every film almost, in any magazine article, in any ad, communicates to us that happiness and fulfillment is found in freedom from roles and restraints. But the Christian code says that happiness and fulfillment are found through roles and restraints. That's assumed here. The code on offer around us today also insists that a distinction in role entails a distinction in dignity. This is just a horrifying thought that one would be in the lead role in a marriage. But the Christian code says that a distinction in role doesn't entail a distinction in in dignity or importance whatsoever. 
1 Corinthians 11 says, But what I want you to understand is this, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And friends, there's no hierarchy of dignity within the Godhead. God the Father and God the Son equal in glory and power and majesty. Different codes for marriage based on different stories about what God is like and who man is. And ours is rooted in the eternal relations of the triune God. And that's why the leader in the marriage is command to love his wife. Because God is for all eternity within himself before he made anything love. He was not alone for all eternity, but he was with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity. And marriage and the relations of marriage and Christian marriage are rooted in that eternal reality that God is from all eternity love. And where you have a religion that is monotheistic and not triune, you have a God from all eternity that was alone, is not himself love from all eternity. And that's where marriages outside of a faithfully ordered Christian home go so terribly bad. At the root and the heart of the ground of Christian marriage is a God who is love from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Our marriages are rooted in the very nature of God. Different stories produce different kinds of understandings of marriage. If you're growing up today, you won't fall into biblical marriage as a matter of cultural custom. You'll have to do it as a matter of conviction. And that's a silver lining in today's challenge to traditional marriage. The church is owning it. And in owning it, we will give God greater praise for his gift. And it is, we may admit, an explanation for the rejection of, of traditional Christian marriage within the broader culture is perhaps the church's own abdication of its understanding of marriage as a gift and its proper ordering. On autopilot, assuming its structure, not anymore. We can't. A fourth thing I noticed, the code is revolutionary. Here's one commentator tells us that in Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, even to go marketing. She lived in the women's apartments and didn't join her menfolk even for meals. From her, there was demanded complete servitude and chastity, but her husband could go out as much as he chose. All the privileges belonged to the husband and all the duties to the wife. Well, in a world of household codes that treated the stronger party as the more meaningful and privileged party, there is something here in this Christian code to be expected of both parties, and there is something owed to both parties because both are made in God's image. And if this doesn't feel revolutionary to us, the dignity that is offered to women and even to children here and to bond servants, it is precisely because it was revolutionary when it was written. Finally, the code is difficult. It's difficult. What do some of these ideas even mean? It's complicated by 2,000 years of distance, and it's complicated by the sins of others who have exploited and abused some of these ideas for their own evil ends and structures and sin. And it's complicated by our own sin, which doesn't like God's word even when we hear it right, apart from God's help. This code would have been read out loud as part of part of the letter. You can imagine the gathering in the home of Philemon, who would have received the, the letter from Epaphras. 
And as it was at that first hearing, some of us will be listening in as God speaks through his word to wives and then, and then to husbands. And as we listen to God's word to wives, not all of us are wives. But that doesn't mean we turn off our minds. All scripture is profitable for God's people, all of God's people, and all of this is profitable for all of us. Some of us may assume one of these roles in the future, and all of us need to know how to encourage and pray for one another in our various roles. So we'll all listen up. With no further ado, let's hear and ponder the code that God has given us by which a husband and wife are meant to live together. The code that, when you get it right, produces something that truly makes sense, something intelligible, something freeing, and something fulfilling. And this morning may even feel a bit explanatory, and that's okay in my mind. Part of the agenda of this sermon is to make crystal clear what it is that is your job, wives and husbands. And then you can go put it to work. So first, a word for the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands. This is the Lord's charge for you. And how? Well, the first thing we're told is that you're to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. You'll notice for each of these commands, there's a command and then there's a a clarification, an expansion on the command. And each command comes with an extra point of instruction that is specifically fitted to the vulnerability of the hearer. In other words, I take it that in hearing that wives are to submit to their husbands, that they need to also hear the words, as sisters, it is fitting in the Lord. What does it mean, as it is fitting in the Lord? We'll we'll reflect on this first, and then I'll unpack about six different angles on this uh, command to submit. Well, first, it means submission is part of your submission to the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians 5, submit as to the Lord. It's a command rooted in the nature of marriage from creation, what husbands are and what wives are. And it's a command rooted in the nature of the purpose of the gospel, Christ and his relationship with the church. It's part of your submission to the Lord. It means submission within the boundaries of obedience to the Lord. Paul writes in Ephesians that wives are to submit in their husbands to in everything. And yet this is qualified by the more dominant priority of submitting to the Lord. And so it has limits. And your submission has a limit. It fulfills his command until it violates one of his command. Submission is God's will until it leads you to violate the will of God. So it's a part of your submission to the Lord. It's within the boundaries of obedience to the Lord. And it's submission as defined by the Lord. This is not submission as as is fitting for an introvert. It's not submission as is fitting for a doormat. It's not submission as is fitting for the sidelines of life. It's not fitting as it's not submission as is fitting for fill in your temperament or personality. It's submission according to the word of God. Priscilla and Aquila were both robust partners of Paul in ministry, and he addressed them as such energetic, engaged. What does submission look like then? Well, much that is indeed we would might, like, might like to know is left for our discernment. But I can give you some help. Bible and Christ-loving wives want to honor this command, and so let's see if I can't reflect on this out loud for us in about six different 
angles. So here are six meditations on the nature of submission fitting that is fitting to the Lord. First, wives submit eagerly. Don't submit reluctantly as if something to lament. Submit eagerly. Embrace this. Adam was made first and it was not good that he was alone. And so God made a, a helper fit for him. God himself is called the helper of mankind in scriptures. So helper is not itself derogatory. Helper is an, a term of honor. God made a helper fit for him, out of him. And when he saw her, he was amazed at the gift, a gift of his wife. The fall messed up marriage relationships so that our posture toward one another, it went from complementary to competitive. And now the man either abuses or abdicates his role as lead in the relationship. And the woman desires the place of her husband, Scripture tells us. The battle of the sexes began in the garden. Well, for the Christian, marriage is a redeemed reality. And with it, marriage is proper roles as gifts to enjoy, not restraints to grieve. And if this is God's design, then this is the code for our flourishing. So, submit eagerly. That's the first thing to say. Secondly, submit expectantly. Submit expectantly for God's abundant gift of blessing for all of our obedience to him. Even if in our circumstances that can be difficult, often in our circumstances there's abundant blessing. Oh, how hard it must be for some of you to see that blessing. But your labor of submission is not hard for God to see. He sees it all and he rewards his children for their obedience and their trust in him. So submit expectantly for God's work of blessing and submit expectantly for your husband's leadership. Maybe he's not leading. And to that, I would say he actually is. He just may be leading nowhere or to the wrong place or in the wrong way or by advocating his leadership. He's leading. Men dominate, that is, lead, even as they abdicate. And if your husband is not home, your life is dominated. Is it not by that absence? Even if you need to pick up where he isn't leading, taking initiative in spiritual matters, reading scripture with the children, that is effectively how he is leading. And you can still live with him in such a way as to leave him room with a posture that welcomes his leadership and his faithful fulfillment of his role. And that takes wisdom. So be an expectant in prayer and with a welcoming posture of his leadership. Don't fill it in and say good riddance. Fill it in maybe even temporarily. Eager for the day when he takes it, takes it up. Submit expectantly. Third, submit industriously. This is not a passive submission. It's participatory. It's productive. Titus 2, 4 through 5 describes the work of a wife. The young women ought to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And this is not a prescription for work in the home only. That was the lot and the occasion of the letter. Rather, it's a life where home is the priority. Her industry in the home will often 
even in days after children have left, even as they're in a home, find its way outside the home. The Proverbs 31 wife was industrious, buying and selling fields, making and selling things and making a profit, feeding and clothing her family and caring for her household. But her work was not for her. That was not a career woman with the accessory of children. It was a wife and mother with the work as a means of caring for her family. And her submission in that context was not passive, but it was active. It was industrious. So submit industriously. Fourth, submit respectfully. Respectfully. Ephesians 5.22, our parallel passage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And verses later, let each one of you love his wife as himself to the men, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's that word respect. And from 1 Peter, we see the same thing. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I take it women are given a command to respect their husbands for two reasons. First, their weakness, and second, his need. There's a temptation to disrespect your husband. Temptation to submit and to do so with a grudge or a grumble, a hostile posture toward him, even as you roll with him. A woman might have a hard time submitting if she thinks, if you think that you have a better idea or can make a better decision or have a more pure ideal, and uh, you may well. In fact, Kristen often, Christy often will, and I'm receptive to all of that. But in some marriages where a man does not uh, have his heart and his own role in order, there may be reasons to feel hostile toward your husband. But this will work against the relationship for a second reason this command is given. Second, this is actually what he needs. A woman needs love of her husband and a man needs the respect of a wife. These are built-in desires that when met strengthen the spouse and the marriage. So respect, respect and honor ought to be words that characterize um, your submission, ladies, to your husbands. Submit respectfully. Not with all due respect, that uh, never feels respectful, but with deep respect and honor. And fifth, submit patiently. A husband is the head, not because of the man he is, but because he is the man, and this is the lot assigned to him. Consider that this command applies even to women married to unbelieving husbands, as we've read in 1 Peter, that he may be won without a word by the conduct, the pure conduct of his wife. God apparently uses the respectful, deferential, submissive, pure, loving behavior in relationship of a wife in order to bring the husband to the place that he ought to be. What a beautiful thing it is to participate in that. Do you feel like you're missing an opportunity to grow for marriage to an unbelieving man? Sister, God is at work in you and perhaps in him in exactly that lot. So submit patiently and see what the Lord will do. When you are first married, younger ladies... God is not finished with your husband, and he has a long way to go. I had a long way to go. I still have a long way to go. My wife will tell you I have a long way to go, and so will my kids who live with me and watch us relate. Um, God is at work. That gives me great encouragement. And remind your husband of that. Remind him that uh, though 
He may not say it. He's not the leader he wants to be. You're praying for him. You're supportive of his leadership. You're eager for him to lead. And you believe God, through your patience, may bring it about. So submit patiently. Sixth, this one's a little... Listen, submit intergenerationally. Okay, here's what I mean. Titus 2. Older women are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we need each other in this. And this makes up for everything that I haven't said that I might have said with a little more wisdom or a little more time or a little more insight. God has, within his church, provided for you relationships with other women as the means by which to figure out and discern what it means for you to submit to your husband and exactly your, your marriage. Older women work with the younger women. So if you're an older woman, why don't you pray for and look out for an opportunity to get to know, take an interest in, and invest in a younger lady? And that may just mean getting some names and having conversation over time on Sundays. It may mean getting involved in our women's Bible study. It may mean being present and engaged with the other couples, young ladies in your shepherding group. Those kinds of structures that we put up, all they are are trellis to hang the life of the vine that is the church, to put you in proximity to other people. And that's why it's so important that our shepherding groups are intergenerational as they are. Not all of them balance so perfectly. But it's so important that older ladies are with younger ladies. And what a wonderful context in the home of a family. So look out for those opportunities. And younger ladies, why don't you pray for an older lady to get to know? It doesn't have to be uh, 30, 40 years up. It could be 10 years up. We all need some help uh, at different points, and it could be several ladies over time. You can look to their example and learn from them. I can think of so, so many. Submit patiently, submit intergenerationally. When I met Christie's, one of the ways I sensed it would work is that I could imagine myself leading her. I wasn't having to try hard. It didn't feel like I needed to impress it's because there was a sense of general regard and respect, and I sensed it. And not in an unhealthy or a fawning way, we just had a mutual sense of regard. She was okay with some of the dumb things about me, and even as we got to know one another, could bear with some of the problematic things about me. But at heart, there was a sense of regard and respect and honor, and that persists to today, and I commend Christy to you as a model in this area of eager, expectant, industrious, respectful, and yes, as I know, patient submission in the Lord. I thank God for her. Now, a word to the husbands. Submission assumes leadership or headship, so how does this look in command form to the husbands? What is their chief responsibility? If the wives' chief responsibility is summed up, uh, submit to your husbands. Maybe for husbands, it's husbands make the decisions. Husbands give the orders. Husbands get that chicken and cheese quesadilla the way you want it, when you want it, and where you want it on that tray in front of the TV. No. There's nothing like that at all. It's possible in seeing these two commands to be to have our attention lock on the command to submit because of its awkwardness in our, 
in our cultural moment. Christianity rubs against different cultures at different points in different ways. This is not a problem in another, in another place. Um, and then to miss, and then to miss the uh, incredible weight and meaning and significance of the command of the man, and even the surprise. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You think your, wife, your job is hard, wife? As Christ loved the church, so we're to love you. And of course, you're lovely, but this is such a standard. And it's no sentimental love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church and how through a cross he loved his church. He gave himself up for her. And this is the paradigm for Christian headship. What does it mean that the, wife, the husband is the head of the wife? Well, it is like Christ is the head of his church. It is a sacrificial self-giving, all of life laying down for the good of the other kind of love. Six meditations on this command. First, husbands, love your wife with your eyes. I'm going to roam around to different body parts, legs and feet and hands and all this. I, these are the hooks that I picked for the sermon. Adam saw that uh, all the animals, as God paraded them in front of him, but Adam didn't see anyone for him. He was alone, and that wasn't good at all. And then he closed his eyes to sleep, and when he opened his eyes and woke up, this is what he saw. He saw his wife, and he says, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In his wife he saw himself, and he saw the rest of him. Self, as one friend put it this week on staff, everything in creation was a backdrop for her beauty. They were joined as one flesh and they were naked and not ashamed. So men, so men, look at her only, not to others. You have eyes for her only, exclusively. Your eyes should not wander and your imagination should lock on your wife. And men, look to the future with her. She's there in your future and you're together. And this has to do with permanence. Marriage is exclusive and it is, it is permanent. So you look to her only and you look to the future with her. And you look to her and not to your parents or your buddies or the golf course or the screen. Give her your attention. Give her your eyes. The bachelor party is a good picture of what happens in marriage. Something ends. Something new begins. And with marriage, your marriage to your wife, your relationships are transformed and your time is reprioritized as you have new priorities and new responsibilities on you and before you. Love your wife with your, your eyes. Give her your exclusive and permanent and fixed attention. Second, love your wives with your, with your feet. This is your leadership in the home. This is where you're taking her, direction, movement, your purpose. Men, don't lead everywhere else in life but the home. Lead everywhere else in life as part of your leadership in the home. Lead from a crucifix. This is how you lead. You lead as a servant, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Lead from, lead from a position and a posture of sacrificial servanthood. This was the sacrifice of Jesus' leadership for us. Consider John Stott on this topic. His purpose was not to impose an alien identity upon the church, but to free her from the spots and wrinkles which 
mar her beauty and to display her in true glory. The Christian husband is to have a similar concern. His headship will never be used to suppress his wife. He longs to see her liberated from everything which spoils her true feminine identity and growing towards that glory, that perfection of fulfilled personhood, which will be the final destiny of all those whom Christ redeems. To this end, Christ gave himself, and to this end, too, the husband gives himself in love. For Christ laid his life down for his bride, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. And that takes hard sacrificial work, and it's on you, men. You're responsible in a very real way in your home for the beauty and the spiritual growth of your wife. It is on you. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and sanctify her by the word. So love from a cross, lead from a cross, lead in a confession. That is the things that you believe. We wash our wives with the water of the word. So we must know what we believe in our leadership and why we believe it. We need to know the scriptures. You should be a man of the scriptures. Know what you believe and why in the details. You may not be a preacher, but you are the resident theologian in your home and over your home. Lead with your confession. Lead with conviction. That is the priorities you're committed to for the ordering of your home. Are there things that are important to you or do you just go with the flow? You should have a sense of conviction and compulsion about how things ought to be ordered and lead that way in your home. And lead toward a certain culture in your home. This is is the climate and the aroma, the feel of the place, the tone. The relationship should be warm. You're the one who needs to say, This is a good marriage, and God is at work because he is, and you're the one who needs to say first, here's here's how things are going, and here's how I can improve, and here's how you can grow. And if you aren't setting the tone, you are merely delegating the tone to someone else. You are the head. I found out a long time ago I can make Christy's best day bad, and I can make her worst day great. And the same is true for my kids. And if I'm not leading, I'm still leading because I'm the head of my, my home. And if I abdicate my leadership or abuse my leadership, it is felt as bad leadership. So lead in character, in climate, and also in character. This is who you will be and who you will make her to be. You're a sole artisan. You take the first step, gentlemen. This is leading with our feet. Take the first step toward reconciliation. Take the first step in a posture of forgiveness. Take the first step to get help if that's needed. It's always needed in some degree. Take the first step out the door to church on Sunday. In marriage, men, you are the initiator and she is the reciprocator. In our relationship with Christ as the church, he loved us first and because he first loved us, we love one another. And we love him because he first loved us. And so it is in marriage that we initiate, we lead out, we love first, and that love reciprocates in the form of respect and submission. Our love is the fuel for her part in the marriage. Lead with a certain cadence, a cadence in the word, a cadence in prayer. 
a cadence with time together. There have been times when Christy and I's schedules were pinched. We do this every now and then. I say, all right, activate the 30 minutes at night thing where we just sit down like, and make ourselves, bolt ourselves to chairs and just talk about whatever comes up and make sure that we're talking and relating. I can remember in college, uh, we were in Chicago, so it was very cold for a good part of the year. Like, we'd be doing great in the spring, in the fall, but then the winter was, like, tough. Uh, things were more tense or whatever. Uh, and it occurred to me, oh, yeah, in the fall and the spring, we'd go on this two-hour walk every night. <laughs> so lead out in your cadences. Find ways to make sure that you're talking and you're, you're listening, more on listening in, in a few. You order the rhythm of the home. That's the point. You're the man. Lead with character, a certain cadence, and lead with consistency. It's not fair to turn it on once or twice a week as a leader. And the rest of the time, be a slouch. Your leadership should be predictable or it's actually not leadership. Jesus was not partially with it. He was all in, and so we are all in. There's something missing if it's the wife, gentlemen, taking the initiative to get the good things going, to get Scripture and the family going, to, to reconcile after trouble. There's something missing if it's the wife that's giving order to everything. And you watch on. You are the husband. You are the head. I recently visited with a couple swinging through town. They're old friends that came through town. And we said, how's it going? How's life? First thing on the wife's lips was, about a year and a half ago, my husband started leading, and it's been wonderful. I'm like, well, tell me about that. And he just turned on. Uh, he'd been lazy. He'd been disengaged. He'd been disinterested in the family and in his wife. And then he started leading and she was beaming, so happy, so happy for her husband to own his role. Husbands, you are the heads of your home. Own your roles. It's not a command, a potentiality even, that is that you're the head. It's a reality, so fulfill it. And as the head of your home, love your wife. Love her with leadership. Third, love your wife with your arms. Love your wife with your arms. I won't flex for you. Love her with your arms. What do you think that is? Provide. At the end of the day, it's on you to make sure she's fed and she's clothed and there is shelter. When God made man and woman, he made them differently in a whole host of ways. And the man's providing role is seen in the distinctiveness, even in the construction of his frame. God made the man's body for work. He's a worker. And he has arms. And it's God's design. He is a working machine. It's hard to notice this much in uh, a knowledge-based economy that we're in, a service-based economy that we're in, but the man is made to go and to make and to crush and to build and to pick up and to drag and to harvest. He's a worker, and the woman's body is softer by nature, a nurturing machine, literally. Men, apply yourselves to provide, to provide for her. I understand that Pastor Connolly made his clothes for his wife. I will never do that. <laughs> that would not be loving my wife. I don't know what was going on there, but that was an amazing man. He killed animals. He probably made clothes out of the skins of the animals that he killed. <laughs> I wish I knew him. Drew Connolly and I are making, are making friends. 
Not all men provide as they wish they could, and not all men will bring home the same amount of bacon. Sometimes both spouses will bring home bacon together, and by all means, bring home as much as you you reasonably can, and both can. But men, you own the responsibility of making sure it gets done. And in the normal course of things, you'll be the one out there raking it in. But our arms are for more than provision. Our arms are also for protection. And I don't mean arms as in taking up arms. It may well be a part of it. But arms as in the strength to secure. Before a woman is married, the normal course of her protection is under the care of her father. And now you are the way God protects her. You are her protector. So get 15 security video cameras if you like. But it's bigger than that. It's more basic than that keeping unwanted people out of the home. Otherwise, you could live in a little room in your garage and uh, watch the cameras and consider yourself done. No, it's keeping, let's say, unwanted ideas and confidants and temptations and patterns out of her life. It's fulfilling your marital duty to her. It's not letting the sun go down on your anger So to make it easy to keep her from letting the sun go down on her anger, protect her from the devil sneaking in. An opportunity. It's being her confidant so that she doesn't find one outside the marriage. Men, as a protector, I don't need to say that she better not need protection from you. Your arms are for protecting. They are not for striking. And women, you are not called to submit to the strikes of your husband. Rather, you're called to call on him for that and to call on the right people for help for your both. And your elders will welcome those calls. And I say help for your both because he is not beyond reach or redemption even if he's sinning gravely against you. Then at a simple practical level, men, make sure she knows how to change a flat. I mean, I've got, I've got a friend whose like, wife is all over inside the engine of the car. I mean, it's her thing. She grew up. Her dad taught her how to deal with engines. And guys, we could just as well teach our daughters. But often enough, as things happen, the guy owns that stuff. Make sure she's safe on a long car trip across the country if you won't be with her. Drive well when she's in the car. That one's for me. Love your... Love her, with your, love her with your arms. Provide for her needs and protect her from harm. Fourth, love your wife with your ears. This one's easy and it's hard. Love with understanding. Be a listener. Your wife is not a copy of some cold template somewhere you can study and have figured out. There's no one like her and no one can know her like you will and can know her. She has a unique history and unique thoughts and desires and and feelings and insecurities and vulnerabilities, and you must be her student. She has experiences in a day, and she has challenges in a week, and she has hormones in a month, and you must know all of these. Your husband, you are her husband. You are her student. You study her. I have a friend who keeps better track of his wife's calendar than she does. And I don't know that because he told me. It's because Christy told me and she told her. 
He's a very attentive husband. This is one expression of what Peter had in mind, I think, when he said, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And then that language of weaker vessel can be very prickly and offensive, but that's just because we don't have eyes to see the most obvious thing in the world. Physical abuse stats run in one direction. That's because the husbands are a stronger vessel and the women are a weaker vessel. And that's not weaker as in less significant or useful. That's built for something different that we need. Know her strengths and help her play to those. Don't criticize her gaps and weaknesses. Compensate for them. That's what you're married for. I have a friend whose wife is a brilliant host of people in her home. Christy would be over there getting her hair done, and before Christy is there, there's a friend there, and while she's getting her hair done, someone's dropping their kids off for an hour while they go to the doctor's appointment, and after Christy's done, someone else is popping in for lunch. This girl is fantastic. And they would both say, husband and wife, that often in their place, many things are out of place. Her strength is not in order and in cleaning. And so he saw that, and they have a maid come once a week to help. And that's living with his wife in an understanding way. That's leading with his wife and leveraging the strengths of his wife. And get this, he doesn't have AC in his truck because that's not as important to him as securing the strengths of his wife and fanning the flame of her, her gifts in love to their neighbors and their church. We contend, some of us, to add up the unique strengths of ten women and expect them all from our wives, but that's just completely stupid. Oh my, and I know that feeling. That's like saying you want every entree on the menu at once. No, friends, your wife is a custom made with certain seasonings and sides and textures, and she isn't everything and neither are you, and it was never meant to be that way. And that's why we have each other. For wives in the home, they often are at home all day with no one to talk to. So much happens. Be willing to listen and listen long. I can tend to burst in with things on my mind and coming out my mouth. I should burst in with an interest in my wife's day and a readiness to listen, even to shoo the children away to make sure I can listen attentively. I have a friend. This is a good practice. He comes home from work. Kids disappear. 30 minutes. It's a great practice. I should institute it myself. It makes what she does feel validated, even if it seems mundane. And it is not mundane. And we commend it for the glorious spiritual work of home, of caring for the home, that it is when we give it due attention, if our wives are in the home. And women are wired differently. I have learned, and indeed I have been told, that often they just want to talk. They want to feel understood more than they want to feel better, I think. It seems that way. They want you to hear them more than they want you to fix the thing that's troubling them. And we always need this reminder. Enter her feelings and feel them and enter her thoughts and think them. Sit beside her and listen to her and study her. No wife is the same. You may be saying, that's not my wife. And as a wife, you may be saying, that's not me. That's okay. It's still for the husband as the head of the home to listen to his wife and to lead her and to love her with his ears, to be her student. Two more. Fifth, love your wife with your mouth. I'm not talking about smooching. That's fine. 
I'm talking about speaking your words. They can, they can build up. They can tear down. They can kill, and they can give life. They can burn a house down, and they can burn your marriage down. And they can't put any fire out. Even the things you wish you could change in your spouse, how you verbalize it, could make all the difference between whether it hurts them or whether it helps them. You have a vision for what your wife could be. Some of that may be idolatry. Some of it may be fine. Well, words will decide what she becomes. You are crafting her with the instrument of your encouragement and your words. Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In marriage, we are constantly stewing on something, meditating on something, and it will show in the words that we speak. Purposefully positive meditations will yield a positive words and the kindness and blessing on your loved one. Stew on her beauty and especially her inner beauty and the facets that shine the brightest and praise them. Everything praiseworthy in a woman wrought by God is to be praised. And God is to be praised for it. Praise it with your, your lips. Text message her in the middle of the day. There was a season, Christy didn't know this, there was a season when I felt like I needed to be more encouraging and I just needed to make myself do it because I was um, selfishly inattentive to God's blessing to me day in, day out. And I said, I had, I had a, an amazing tasking system and I had one task in there called encourage Christy about something. And it'd be like three o'clock. I'd be like, babe. And I would send her an encouraging, an encouraging note. Do whatever it takes. There's plenty of material out there if God has given you a wife. Make yourself to notice the blessing of God in front of you and speak about it to her. What an encouragement that would be. You are God's gift to her as her encourager. Her encourager. And use your words to do it. And you know who's good at this? Our own pastor Brad Hilgeman is good at this. I'll tell you what I know about Brad. Brad thinks his wife is cool and he can't think of anything better than being her husband. She's a cool person and he can't believe he's married to her. And I've listened to him enough. He's not just saying it. He really means it. I was talking to him recently about his 60th birthday party and his son had a number of people write up little notes to affirm him. And as he says, everyone said something about his relationship with Anna. And what did he say next? He said, they're getting it. This is not to put the attention on me. They're getting it. That's always been my goal. And I learned it from an older man. And then he talked to me about an older man who modeled this for him. Look to others in the church who are doing this well, men, and model them and imitate them. Brad is an example for me of one who speaks to his wife in beautiful, loving, and encouraging ways and about his wife to others and in front of others in encouraging, encouraging ways. But even more important than your words is the word you speak. For it's with our mouth that we speak the word of God to our wives. There's nothing more powerful than that. When you marry a woman, you're responsible for maturing her in the Lord. You're God's instrument in her life to nourish and to form her. And the tool he has given you for this work is his word. So take it up and speak. Sixth, love your wife with your hands. That one's touch. 
that one's touch. And guys, you're usually thinking of one thing here. And girls, you will be thinking maybe of that and many other things. Men, take up your hands and pick up a plate and wash it or whatever that thing is to contribute as a servant in your home and to care for her. Take up her hand and hold it and then serve her with your hands. Hug her, cuddle her, touch her affectionately and do this in an understanding way, understanding your wife and her day and the moment. Your hands are for her. They are her servant. And would you know that it's in serving her needs and in her desires in all of life in a way that is understanding of her as your wife, outside of the bedroom and in, that it is through precisely that that God satisfies you. The most unsatisfied men are the men who seek their satisfaction by any other means than proper uh, love in this way. It's God's design. The two become one. They fit together and they bring different parts to the union physically and in every way. Now you probably noticed Paul's extra command to the husband and we'll start to land on this. He had an extra comment for the women to submit as is fitting to the Lord and I wanted to end with this extra comment for the men so that it, so that it sticks. What does the husband need to hear? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Paul says so little, he just gives us a sentence. This must be said then. It seems a little redundant, I take it. This is what men need to hear in explicit terms. And it matches our vulnerability for our weakness is in abusing our role as the heads in our marriages. Some would abdicate it, but it is often enough the case that a man will abuse the authority that he's given as the head of his home with harshness. This word for harsh could be translated bitter. It doesn't have to do with sort of a momentary burst. It would include that. But it has to do with the setting of oneself against one's wife. This comes back to the expectation thing, that we gather all of our expectations and put them on our wives. And it's when we seek in our wives and in our marriages that which only Christ can give, true fullness, that we actually lose our marriage's blessing altogether. It's precisely when we look to our wives for what only Christ can give that we lose the blessing of marriage. Alternatively, it's when we look to Christ for fulfillment that he truly can give to our marriage all that it's meant to be. It's when we find our fullness in Christ that we overflow with love to our wives and in overflowing with love toward our wives that we are not harsh with them. Here's from the Facebook post of a friend in our church. Remember the decoding. Here's one working with the right code. What's wrong with Christian marriages, he asks. I sent my wife flowers yesterday just because. When she got them, the normal line of questioning was, so what's the occasion? When she told them no occasion, their next question was, that must have been one big fight. When she told them no fight, the next question was, are you guys okay? And when she told them we're fine, they seemed perplexed. Then she said, I think he had a coupon. And they said, oh, oh, that makes sense. And I had to copy, paste, and make sure I asked him if I could use it. God is at work in our church and in our marriages. We have these simple commands, one for a wife, one for a husband. And we might think we need more. But in God's wisdom, we don't need a whole lot more. 
all of the book of Colossians, indeed all of scripture, indeed all of the gospel, indeed the Trinitarian eternal love of the Father for the Son is emptied out into these two commands. Put them to work. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gift of this passage and the gift of marriage. It's not a gift that all of us at this moment enjoy, but it is a gift that all of us in the church benefit from. And so we pray for our wives among us, that they would be faithful to submit as unto the Lord and in the Lord. And we pray, Father, I pray for myself and for husbands, that we would love our wives as Christ loved the church, that we would picture for the world the beautiful gospel of Christ, whereby Christ laid himself down in love for his church. And may from this little outpost of heaven and every little family outpost represented here, uh, a display of the new creation glory and salvation that Jesus has brought, the creator of all things and the one in whom all things are reconciled. In whose name we pray, amen.